0: amen 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 well blessings to you um thank you dear brother and uh for that let me just say that uh, we have just enjoyed our time being with you this month and uh here and sharing with you if there's anything that i can ever do to help you to help the church in any way i'm just down the street not that far And know that of our prayers and our love for you during these days. And also that uh, what an exciting week that this is. I enjoyed hearing uh, your young people share this morning of the work in Arlington, at Mission Arlington. But always an exciting week when Vacation Bible School comes around. And I just pray that you will pray for your Vacation Bible School. Many of you are working in Vacation Bible School and for the setup and for the operation and for all that it takes for vacation Bible school and believe as I shared about several, about a week or so ago that it's one of the great evangelistic opportunities that you have in reaching your community, in reaching children, in reaching families with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so pray for your workers, pray for them. Pray for them especially about Thursday and Friday, okay? If you know what I mean, if you've ever worked in Bible school and uh, you know that all it takes but just praying for this and for the opportunity and for the sharing of the gospel. My my wife and I are very uh, excited about Vacation Bible School because uh, we're our granddaughter where she goes to church with our son-in-law who's on staff at a church and uh, daughter or son and daughter in law uh, she gave her heart to Christ 3 weeks ago at the vacation bible school and so uh, we're just excited about that and uh, and so thankful for this and her growing in the Lord Jesus Christ so I know that the ministry's there that there's a growth that is there after our message this morning in just a few moments we'll come together and sharing in a time is a time of remembrance and it is a very time of reverence as we come together any time we come to share in that of remembering why our lord and savior came uh, remembering his body that uh, was beaten and the cruel death that he died upon the cross and the blood that was shed and so you will be in prayer for this and for just a few moments as we as we share and as we do so in doing so, praying God's blessings upon this moment and this time together today, and as we share in this time time of worship together, I would ask if you would take your Bible and would you turn, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter six. And I want to read right in the very heart of what is in the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe being the greatest message that our that has ever preached. Matthew chapter six. But Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 of that we know to be the Sermon on the Mount. But right in the very heart of this, and I appreciate uh, Alan reading the Scripture from Philippians 4 just a few moments ago, I want to talk to you a little bit just about this matter of overcoming and facing this giant called worry, anxiety. Look at the words that Jesus tells us there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They they neither toil nor spin. And, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, not dressed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which to, today is and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Our Lord Jesus lived among common, everyday, down-to-earth kind of people. And He knew what it was for a person to struggle for daily necessities. And He knew what it was to work hard to make a living. And with that in mind, it means a great deal to us when in the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus deals with this matter of worry. If you notice that in this passage of Scripture, that three times that He says, do not worry, do not be torn apart. That word worry actually means to pull in opposite directions. And yes, worry is the opposite of peace. Peace means to bring together, to pull together. I read this about worry that I've thought about. Worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a wide channel that drains away all other thoughts. If you allow worry to linger and It's encouraged into your heart and mind. Then all the other constructive thoughts and things are taken out of your mind. You know, I think most of us do a great deal of worrying, or we have done so in uh, past days, months, and years, and yet Jesus tells us, do not worry. That means that if we do worry that it is sin, now, somebody may come along and they'll say, Well, you know, we all do it. I mean, We all do it, don't we? Uh, it's one of those respectable sins. Because we don't normally look upon worry as a sin. You know, I don't know anyone that is going to go into work tomorrow morning. And they'll say something like this. You know, uh, I-, I spent last night... <laughs> breaking into all the convenience stores. I've been up all night and I haven't slept a wink. I've never heard anybody say that. I don't think you've probably ever heard anybody say that. But have you ever heard anybody say, I didn't get a bit of sleep last night. I worried all night. Uh, I didn't get a bit of sleep at all. I just couldn't sleep. Now when we talk like that, we we really expect folks to pat us on the back and tell us how good we are because we've spent the night doing exactly what Jesus tells us not to do. Now, to hear somebody say to us, or we say it to them, don't worry about it, or just don't worry, is easier said than done. Uh, for some folks, that's like saying, well, stop breathing. Huh? Maybe you heard this poem. The poem goes like this, I joined the new Don't Worry Club, and now I hold my breath. I'm so afraid I'll worry that I'm worried most to death. Well, worry causes problems from all kinds of angles. It can cause physical problems. Doctors for years have told us that ulcers are a direct result of anxiety, of worry. And when you get an ulcer, normally it's not what you've been eating, but really what's been eating at you. Uh, we hear about high blood pressure due to stress, tension that we allow. So let's take these few moments and let's face this giant and learn how to overcome and win over worry. Look at these three things. Number one is, is we want to just define worry. Again, worry is to be pulled apart, pulled in opposite directions. Well, according to Jesus, the first thing that we learn about worry is, is that when we worry, you have an incorrect view of life. Now, notice what Jesus does in this passage. He begins a normal life the way we live. He talks about what we put in our body, what we put on our body, and what we put over Our body. We think about what we're going to eat. Some of you are thinking about lunch right now. Uh, We think about food. We think about paying, uh, being able to pay the grocery bill. Uh, We think about uh, what we're going to wear, what we're going to put on. We're thinking about buying clothes. And if we have children, we're thinking about uh, what are we going to buy for these kids that are growing and these shoes that are wearing out. Well, Jesus talks about the pressures of life that cause people to spend a great deal of of time worrying. And what He does here is, is that He argues from the lesser to the greater. Now, here's what He says. He says, Do not worry about the necessities of your life. Because is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? His point is, is that when you look at life merely from the viewpoint of the material things in life, then you have an incorrect view of life. Now remember what Jesus said to Satan in the time of temptation. Jesus said when Satan came and tempted him to turn the stones into bread, what Jesus say, man shall what? Not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of Almighty God. Now, he is not saying that we do not have to have the necessities of life. He is saying that the material is not the totality of life. God is the one who created life. He is the very one who gave us the very existence that we enjoy. And if God can do the great, that is, create life, then He can do the lesser, that He can sustain that life that He has created. It's not a big job for God to provide and to give you the necessities of life. And so if you can trust God for for the great matters, that is, that you can trust Him for the salvation of your soul, that He'll save you, and that of your eternal destiny in his hands, that when you die that you're assured that you know that you will be with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, then surely you ought to be able to trust God to provide for the everyday necessities of your life. Now, Jesus not only points out that when we worry that we give an incorrect view of life, but secondly, he says when we worry we give an incorrect value of our life. What Jesus would do is, is that He would often reach out into the world of nature. And He would use these word pictures. He would use illustrations that were right around Him to help us understand what He was trying to say. And I don't know, it may have been that some birds just flew overhead at that particular moment of time. And Jesus just says, just just look at the birds. Just take a look at them. Uh, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store away into barn. He's talking about the care for birds. And then he says this. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Now here he says your heavenly Father. Not their heavenly Father. But your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus makes a distinction between the birds of the air that are part of God's creation and you a born again child of God. He's not saying that the birds of the air don't work. Birds are very good about uh, gathering their food each day. Jesus is not saying that you ought to just sit down somewhere and just uh, expect God to let it all fall into your lap. No. You know, you you don't find birds uh, perched up in trees expecting God just to haul it all into into them. Birds are very, very industrious. Jesus is saying that you'll never see a bird. With an ulcer, huh. uh, you never see a bird going to a doctor. You never see you know, dealing with problems of hypertension. In other words, the Creator cares for the birds, and they know that He's going to care for them. And though they are busily engaged in all their activities of gathering food, they don't get all filled with anxiety and burdened down with the care like we do. A bird is a creation of God. You, as a born-again believer, are a child of God. If God takes care of the lesser, the little birds... Don't you think that God is going to take care of His own children and His own creation? That you have a heavenly Father in heaven who is watching over you. He's taking care of you. And many of us know the old song, His eye is on the sparrow and I know that He is watching me. So that's just a little bit of a definition of worry. Secondly, let's just very quick like describe worry. Jesus describes what worry does. One is, worry is useless. It doesn't do any good. He'll begin there in verse 27. He'll say, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life, a a single cubit to his height. A a cubit was uh, 18 inches, a foot and a half. I really believe what Jesus is saying is that worrying cannot add any length to life, any length to your days. Worrying cannot make you live any longer. Oh, you know anybody out there that's just obsessed with longevity of life? We still live in the day of regular checkups, of diet and exercise programs. Well, all of that is good, and we ought to do everything we can to take care of the body that God has given to us. Dr. Ken Cooper, the father of aerobics, aerobic exercise, once said about aerobics, he said this, and I quote, We cannot say that aerobic exercise will will increase the quantity of your life, but we can say that it will increase the quality of your life. And so what Dr. Cooper was saying was, we can't say that it will make you live any longer if you exercise, but you will enjoy the years you do live if you are in shape. He recognized that there is not a thing in the world that you can do that will lengthen your life because the length of our life, yes is in the hands of Almighty God. It's God who makes the decisions about life. And we ought to do everything that we can to live as long as we can, to live as high a quality of life that we can. Jesus says that worrying cannot add one single day to your life. In fact, the opposite is true. Worrying can take away some days from your life. Charles Mayo, who founded the Mayo Clinic, said this concerning worry, and I quote, worry affects circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. He said, I've never met or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot, a lot who died of worry. Well, according to Jesus, worry is useless. It's kind of like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't go anywhere, okay? in doing so. So worry is useless. Secondly, worry is faithless. When you worry, you show a lack of faith and trust in Almighty God. Now Jesus goes into the world of nature again. Look what he has to say. Look at verse 28. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon and all of his glory was not arrayed, was not dressed like one of these. Wildflowers grew all over the landscape. Solomon, that multi-millionaire, was adorned with splendor. He was a king with the finest royal robes that could be made in that day. And yet, if you had taken those robes of Solomon and you'd put them under a microscope, you would discover that there was little to those particular robes of, of, of Solomon. Uh, the more you examine the raiment of Solomon, the more simple, unattractive you would have discovered it to be but instead you take a wildflower and you look at it and you put it under a microscope, you become amazed at how beautiful that common wildflower is. That even as decked out as Solomon was, he was not as adorned as one of the most common flowers in the field. And notice that Jesus will go on and he calls it the grass of the field. And what happens to that grass? Well, Jesus tells us. It's here today. It's burned up in the fire the next day. Boy, if they're in central Texas and there's no water and the heat comes down, they do burn, don't they? If God gives such careful attention to the adorning flowers, don't you think that he's going to take care of you? And then he says he's emphatic about it. You of little faith. He says, look, he says, you're not using your faith to the fullest and not applying your faith to all areas of your life. You know, I think the way most Christians use faith, they exercise faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation, for the saving of their soul." And they will live by faith and trust in some spiritual matters, but when it comes, they want to live by sight in physical matters. was no accident here that jesus would talk to us before beginning in verses 19 through about verse 24 that jesus would talk to us about our treasure that where your treasure is there your heart's also going to be so he recognized that we all had a treasure so where's your treasure going to be Jesus says that when you worry, you are showing an absence of faith and trust in Almighty God and an unwillingness to apply your faith to the daily problems, to the necessities of life. If you trust in God, you don't worry. But if you're worried and filled with anxiety, you don't trust in God. And pardon the pun, but you know, some folks out there just need a faith lift, don't they? They just do as far as their trust. Put your faith, put your trust in God. Worry is useless. Worry is uh, faithless. Worry is needless. Now he goes on to say in verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, that is the lost, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He says, the lost, they eagerly seek. Uh, it, it's an intense, it, it is a continuous word. It's something that they continue to do. Jesus saying that it is the nature of lost people, those without God in their life to constantly, to pursue things, to be bothered. To be heated up and anxious about things. The way a lot of people know how to live is to spend their life devoted to just material pursuits and to stuff and uh, more stuff. Without Jesus Christ, you are without God, you are without hope. Well, the point that Jesus makes is that those who are saved, a child of God, will not seek to live On the level of the natural world, we are to live on the level of the spiritual. We're to live on the level of the, of the supernatural, trusting God, your heavenly father knows what you need. Guess what? God knew what was going to break down in your house this week. God knew what appliance was going to break down. God already knows about your finances. God knows about uh, the taxes and the tax situation. He already knows. Nothing takes God by surprise. You cannot inform God about anything. Did you know that? Oh, you can say, well, you can go to him and say, well, Lord, did you know? And he'll never say, well, you know what? I never knew that. God is all-knowing. Not only does he know, he cares. The promise that we can bank on is First Peter 5, verse 7, casting all of our care, all of our anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Now, we've defined worry. We've uh, described worry. In these last few moments, let, let's defeat worry. He tells us how we can be an overcomer. The first thing is this. Give the Lord your first. What do you mean? Well, look at verse 30, uh, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. It's as if Jesus is saying, all right, if, if you insist on worrying, then uh, why don't you just get all worked up about putting me first in your life? You just get all worked up about me having the priority in your life, being first in your life. Let me ask you this morning, this day, is Jesus first in your life? And I mean everything, not just a few things, but everything. He said, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, not our righteousness, his righteousness. It's amazing again that even in this same chapter, a few verses before this, when he teaches us how to pray, he teaches us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Genesis 1-1, we know the words in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's the way to be, good way to begin the world and it's a great way to begin life. In the very beginning, Put Jesus first in your life. Jesus first will solve a lot of problems. Jesus first will answer a lot of questions. Jesus first, His kingdom, His righteousness will help in making decisions about what you ought to do in life. It's kind of like, we don't think about it in summer, but it's kind of like buttoning a sweater, okay? Think about wintertime, all right, when it's real cold. Have you ever buttoned a sweater, and you realize when you went down that you had more sweater than you had buttons? Huh? And and, and if you look at it, if you look at it real carefully, you discover that you started off wrong, that you missed the first button. So you start with the first button, and if you get the first button right, then you're going to be right all the way down. But you know what? If you're off on that first button, then you're going to be off all the way down. Well, put Jesus first. Let Him be first. Give Him priority in all your life. His kingdom, His righteousness, Then all these things added to you, all the other buttons will fall into place, all these things will fall into place as Jesus sees. You give the Lord your first. Give the Lord your future. He concludes saying, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Give God your future. Now I think most of us crucify ourselves between two thieves. The regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. In fact, I think most of us worry about things that never happen. Because we're so afraid that something is going to happen, but guess what? It never does. Have you ever worried that something bad was going to happen? Hmm? Well, guess what? Sooner or later... Something bad is going to happen. Well, why should you bring all of the possible calamities that could ever happen in the totality of your life into today and try to carry the load for all of your tomorrow? The Bible says that, that our great, our most high, high priest who ascended the heavens who sat down at the right hand of the Father, that He understands every weakness, every temptation, all things that we... That what He does is is that He gives us His mercy, His grace and mercy in just the nick of time, in time of need, if we will call upon Him. Because we have the boldness to come before our great high priest. Lamentations 3, right in the middle of the book of Lamentations, those wonderful words that His compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And whatever the needs of tomorrow may be, God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's strength will be available on that daily basis. Give God your future. And then Jesus just concluded, Each day has enough trouble of its own. Give God your future. Give God your life. Give to God your family. Give to God your church. It's His church. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave Himself for. God knows all these things. We have enough to deal with today without bringing all of our tomorrows in today. Alan read the scripture a few moments ago. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, in everything, Paul writing this from a prison cell, get that. But in every situation, by prayer and request, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace, His peace that surpasses all our understanding, will guard our hearts and minds because of Christ Jesus. If you want to win the giant over worry, look to Jesus Christ. Give Jesus Christ your first. Keep Him first in your life. Just don't mouth it. No, live it each and every day. Lord God. I surrender my mind, my thought life to you. I surrender my words. Lord God, I surrender my attitude. (laughs) Lord, my actions, oh God, I give to you. Then give Jesus Christ your future. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray our prayer is this morning. Lord God, you know our hearts and our minds, how restless that we have been at at times. Lord God, when we've sought to put things in our own hand, and we've tried to figure out things our own way. Help us, oh God, today. Lord God, as we seek, Lord, to honor you. That, Lord, you will forgive us of when we have worried, when there's been anxiety in our life. And we can be anxious and worked up about many things, about many useless things. But, Lord, in our life today, we would give, Lord, that Jesus Christ, it would be first. We would seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. And, Lord God, we give you our first, we give you our future, the future that you have in your hands. Use us, Lord, this day. And, Lord, as we come in these next few moments, as we remember why Jesus Christ came, Lord, that he carried the sins, our sin, upon himself. Lord, that he died in our place. Lord, in this moment of time, that it will be a time of reverence. It will be a time of worship. It will be a time as we seek to examine our own heart. And, Lord, that we would be in a right relationship with you we would be in a right relationship with one another. We look up. We look within. We look around. We look back. We look forward. Lord, we seek, Lord, to be your instrument, your servant in these days. And for all that would be done, would honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and then after I do so, I'm going to call those who are serving in just a few moments, and I will hand the elements to those who will be serving. They will be serving you. If you're a Christian, if you're baptized, biblically baptized, listen, this is for you. If you're not saved, listen, you've come to the right meeting today, okay? To know how you can be saved. If you've not been biblically baptized, I'd ask that you just observe this time this morning, this time, and let it be a testimony to you. And then you would come to me afterwards and let me share with you how you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shared this particular meal with those before the very night of his, before the very time of his own death. The passage I want to read is found in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. The Apostle Paul said, for I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you preach a sermon. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You will be served these elements. And I would ask that as you receive them and help others receive them, that you just bow your head in a time and then I will give direction as we partake of the bread and that of the cup.